0: my planet arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low rolling over the sands you can see spice in the air the outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. <laughs> What's to become of our world?
1: A boy! <laughs> hey,
2: Duncan, can I trust you with something?
1: Yes, always, you know
2: that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. <laughs>
1: Everything important happens when we're awake.
0: Hey you, put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray.
1: Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to
2: bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides, accept!
1: Awakening in my mind.
0: You need to face your fears. Come with me.
1: You need to be ready. You've never met Harkness before. They're not human, they're brutal. The Duke's son sees too much. This is I-June. Kill them all. in heaven get everything with guns off the ground go this is an extermination they're picking my family off one by one let's fight like demons
2: Dad, what if I'm not the future of house Atreides?
0: A great man doesn't seek to lead, he's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. If anything happens...
1: together for you stand a chance
2: Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. And I'm Johanna. And today we finish our sandworm cinema exploration. Cycle. (laughs) cycle. Sandworm cinema cycle. The sandworm cinemas.
1: I was thinking more extravaganza, but that's just me.
2: (laughs) Well, we'll talk about how extravagant this uh, film is. We're going to be talking about Dune 2021. The latest incarnation of Dune on the big screen by Denis Villeneuve. Is that how you say Denis? His
0: name? Denis Villeneuve.
2: Whenever anything is French, we go to Johanna on that. That's oh, right. As if. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: you can speak it better than the two us. of us. So.
2: Yeah. so,
0: so
1: since the last time I saw you, I
0: actually took my son to Montreal to practice his French, and I went around telling people uh, "Je parle un peu français," and then Finn would go off on like a whole paragraph about how he speaks better and more French than I do.
1: So <laughs> it,
2: it was
0: it was delightful. Anyway, uh,
2: maybe we'll have him in as a translator at some point, but right now he needs to be satisfied with ask a 12 year old boy, which we're gonna do for this one.
0: (laughs) All right, excellent.
2: But before we get into that, I got something on my mind. I haven't been watching a lot of movies lately. I've been busy. So I've been watching YouTube videos, which this is what really bothers me because I'm becoming the person that annoys me, which is people who don't go to the cinema anymore and just watch YouTube for hours and hours but that has been me mainly because i can multitask while doing it and i don't think people would be too happy about me showing up at the theater with my laptop and <laughs> so <laughs> not to mention it would be disrespectful to the film whereas i don't care on youtube but this has led me down some rabbit holes that are really driving me nuts and i didn't formulate how i was going to say this so i apologize if it comes out a little bit crazy but I went looking for other nerd reviewers who I'm a fan of. I was specifically looking for Lindsay Ellis. And I know I'm a little late to the party because she's been gone from YouTube for a while now. I didn't know that because I hadn't gone specifically looking for one of her videos in a while. But she's been gone since December. And the story behind that gets into this whole cancel culture thing that is really pissing me off. So at one point in time, what I call the nerdosphere, us type of people who are on here talking about these kind of things, kind of the king geek on YouTube was the angry video game nerd. And he unfortunately fell victim to a ton of criticism and trolling possibly by the studios themselves to some degree, when he gave a bad review to the Ghostbusters all-female cast. uh, I don't know what we call that, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters reboot? What are we calling that, Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters
1: Um, she-boot.
2: (laughs) Anyway. And then, see, here's where I'm going to get in trouble with all this girl power crap. Um, So so then I've mentioned on the show comic book girl 19, who defended him saying that she had the same take on the film and nobody attacked her because she was a woman saying it. And that was really the only difference between their reviews. This brings me to Lindsay Ellis. Now, Lindsay Ellis apparently was driven off of social media for a bad review of Raya and the Last Dragon. Not necessarily a bad review, but she was in this hypersensitive era we're in, she supposedly, and I haven't seen the tweet that she made, made some kind of tweet that conflated all of Asian culture. Now, I am Asian. And what's really ironic about this is some of my South Asian friends accuse Raya and the Last Dragon of doing that very thing, conflating all Asian culture in one movie. And So it's kind of ironic that that was the thing that drove her off. But basically, you might have seen her reviews when she was using the name Nostalgia Chick. She did a lot of reviews on Channel Awesome. Anyway, she's fantastic. She's a far better film reviewer than I am. And this idea that people get permanently canceled for one thing, especially a critic, cuz their job is to say this. It reminds me of like that scene in Pulp Fiction where Mia Wallace and Vincent Vega are on a date at the 50s sock hop place and she like goes to powder her nose and comes back and asks him if he has anything to say and he says I do but you got to promise not to be offended. And she says no you can't promise something like that you tell me what you're going to tell me and my natural reaction may be to get offended through no fault of my own i've broken that promise right exactly you do not have a right to not get offended you do not have that right so all these trigger warnings all this stuff really pisses me off which brings me to the latest rant of what i was watching on youtube now i try to avoid celebrity stuff i don't care what they do off screen as far as I'm concerned, everything you see on TV is fake. If someone slaps somebody else at the Oscars, chances are that shit was staged to get everybody talking about the Oscars the next day around the water cooler. But I managed to avoid these things because I don't care what they do when they're not making movies. Lenny Riefenstahl is a freaking Nazi and I watch her films. All right. So I do not care about that part of them. I'm probably the only person that lived through the OJ trial without watching one minute of it.
1: I also did not really watch one minute of the OJ trial.
2: <laughs> but I got sucked into the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. And talk about someone who got canceled. Depp, I guess, is never going to be in a Pirates movie again now. Decidedly,
1: um, though. He, he After that happened, he's like, no. Even if they come to me, I'm not doing it.
2: Well, yeah. And so. he said, even for $300 million and 300 alpacas, he wouldn't do another Pirates film. And then what's really interesting is that the trial, like it's turned into a literal zoo because there was a woman that showed up with a whole bunch of emotional support alpacas for him. And of course they had to wait outside. <laughs> so like this trial is amazing in its entertainment value. Okay. <laughs>
0: Now I'm intrigued. I usually, I like, despite being really interested in the movie business, I am not interested in movie relationship gossip. There's important issues being touched on, but just like in general, I don't like encouraging this kind of cultural obsession with famous people in their lives, but mm-hmm. this does sound very funny. Normally <laughs> I
2: don't, but since it involves- Alpacas? Perhaps, well, <laughs> alpacas, but perhaps whether or not- It down, had yep. me at alpacas perhaps whether or not johnny depp will ever work again i'm kind of a little bit invested in that
1: oh he's totally going to work again but amber heard probably will not that's my
2: prediction well we'll see you know she wrote this op-ed and a lot of people listen to her and believe her and that's what started this whole thing and you know he got dropped from pirates and all of that so right, all right but let me tell you a little bit about this trial because First of all, you've got Amber Heard, who is very odd. Like, if they ever make when HBO makes the TV movie of this, she's when going to not play, if yeah when, <laughs> when she's going to be played by <laughs> Rosamund Pike, and she's got some weird mind games going on with Johnny Depp because whatever he's wearing to court. Like the next day she shows up in the same outfit or very close, like some sort of take on it. Right. So there's that going on.
1: Tell, that, me, tell me that doesn't that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the relationship. She's totally trolling him through this trial.
2: Yeah, well, there's that. But mostly she's completely impassive, no emotion. Narcissists and then, are really good at that. Then there's Johnny Depp's testimony where He's an actor, right? So he's entertaining on the stand, right? So there's, there's all of that. But the best is the witnesses they're calling. Anyone who has worked around celebrities knows they're a bunch of big babies. It seems totally true about both of these two. So they have this, um, this psychologist who did a personality test on um, Amber, the MMPI which if you guys are familiar with the Myers-Briggs test, that's like the pop psychology thing, INTJ and all that. Mm -hmm. Think of that except for on steroids. And that's the uh, Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory. And that's what they gave her. I know this because I'm a psych major, right? By the way, this doctor, Shannon Curry, I think is her name, is a bombshell. She's way prettier than Amber. You would think she was the starlet and Amber was the witness. And what's hilarious is Amber's attorney is trying to play mind games with this woman. And she's like Hannibal Lecter. It's like she is the master <laughs> of psychology. Amber's attorney is trying to, it's like just so outclassed by her. It's like this mental chess match, right? <laughs> then the, the bodyguards testify. And so Amber at some point throws all of Johnny Depp's shit out the window. And, and then the bodyguards Their job, like you would think their primary job is guarding that celebrity's body, you know, like literally saving them from crazed stalkers. No, it's like cleaning up their fucking messes, right? (laughs) And like this guy, Amber's bodyguard, like, it was like, oh, crap. That included Johnny's cell phone. We got to go retrieve the cell phone. So he goes to retrieve the cell phone. Meanwhile, some homeless guy comes along, finds the cell phone, and like takes off with this and some of Johnny depp's stuff. They later find this homeless guy on Skid Row, and they offer him a bunch of tacos and some money for the cell phone back. <laughs> All right, I'll do I'm not anything making the tacos shit up. and money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so then. Johnny Depp's bodyguard testifies and he is, he's, he reminds me a little of Liam Neeson, right? So he's okay. got like, I think an Irish accent and he's like, and I so they're trying you. to say that he had to like, you know, Johnny Depp was peeing in the foyer or something like that, you know, because he was drunk. That's what they were trying to say. And the, the bodyguard's like, no, like if I, if I had seen Johnny Depp's penis, I would have remembered it. <laughs> it was his exact line. <laughs> but then the all-time greatest is the doorman his name is like <laughs> alejandro he was the doorman of the building that they had their penthouse apartment in and this guy has very few fucks to give about this whole trial right so he <laughs> he's giving a deposition from his car right and he's sitting in his car and you can see as he gets asked the same stuff over and over again oh that's another thing they asked like amber's attorney keeps asking the same thing like with the psychologist she kept asking about her bringing muffins right and it turned into this interrogation reminiscent of the muffin man scene from shrek like have you seen the muffin man <laughs> The muffin. i literally go watch it there i'm not the first person to say this people are putting up muffin man <laughs> videos everywhere <laughs> but but this back to alejandra the doorman he has very few fucks to give, and he's like sitting there, and they keep badgering him with the same story, and you can see him getting less and less tolerant of this. Soon, he just starts freaking vaping, all right? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just vaping right on, on camera. and In the courtroom. We- no no no. he's in his car it's video testimony like there he's he's skyped in or some shit right and then eventually he starts driving he's like i've had enough of this so he's He's like okay we're doing
1: this and i'm running errands and i'm smoking (laughs) my vape vaping
2: and and driving around and like the judge is just like her eyes are like saucers you know (laughs) because you can see the exact moment this guy has given the last fuck about this trial.
1: He's like, and now I'm just doing this while I'm going to Target. Mm-hmm. Yep, I got my vape. I got my anyway, prescription vape. I'm doing great because this all is on YouTube. This is how I'm dealing with this now because I'm done with this.
2: Yeah, it's all on YouTube. I highly recommend take, checking it out. I Granted, this was supposed to be a rant about cancel culture and how it's pissing me off, but it's also about what I've been watching since we last got Got together. It's just
1: such a freaking circus right now, you know, and, and it's like, it, it, it seems like here in the U S every, you have to take a side on freaking everything. Everything's like, oh my word, stop.
0: Not just take a side, but be like rabid with your passion for that side. Yeah. And like
1: total stake your claim in it.
0: Yeah. And I know we've brought up Disney's outdated content warnings in another episode, uh, Actually, it's a future episode, isn't it? Because it's Meet the Feebles. But um, <laughs> yes. but, um, but I want to read it again because I feel like they've taken a good calming approach to this, like a little more thoughtful, a little bit more like, let's just take a step back. And if you watch any Shirley Temple movies on Disney+, Plus, or if you watch any of the original Muppets on Disney+, Plus, you might see... This content warning that says this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together.
1: Love and that. I think
0: I think, yeah, this to me threads the needle of we're going to acknowledge it's wrong, we're going to take a thoughtful step back, we're not going to demonize anybody like this is not finger wagging of like and those people were horrible racists and we should never talk to them again it's like the content is harmful let's think about the impact that this has on our culture and try to do better but it's it's not demonizing of the people and i think that that's where a lot of this the rhetoric just gets so nuts is that you know and the instantaneous like you know you fucked up and now you have to be gone, you know, deleted from mm-hmm. the culture. And right. I like Disney's approach.
1: Yeah, and and also, you know, people change their mind. People yeah. grow, people evolve, they change their mind. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm one of them. You know, I used to be completely opposite politically and I grew up and I changed my mind and I learned things and I read things. And I decided what was my truth and what I felt was right. You know, not what somebody else was telling me, not what some religion was telling me, not whatever. You know, it took time. It took me raising kids. It took me working with around all kinds of people. It took me listening to other perspectives for me to come up with my own opinion on things. People don't do that anymore. And then they want to chastise you if you change your mind on a a subject. They don't think like, well, maybe I learned more.
2: It's not and- just the, the chastising. It's the complete trolling and mm-hmm. hounding. So like I said, Lindsay Ellis is now gone from all social media and her videos were great. Like I said, she's a far better film reviewer than I am. And I say stupid shit on this podcast all the time. Like <laughs> <Me too. laughs> sooner, well, sooner or later, Rosie and Johanna will probably say something stupid. I hope that we don't get canceled, you know, just because of what I've said. Um, <laughs> Well, I, th- I think you've done a good job
0: editing out the tongue-tied parts where where we say something and then we're like, no,
1: wait, no, go back. <laughs>
2: <my> like,
1: <laughs> remix. <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't know what you're talking about. This is all free-flowing conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally. I I I actually that uh, just yesterday I was listening to Dan Carlin who does the wildly popular hardcore history show and he was talking about how the greatest thing for him was coming from radio to podcasting because in podcasting he could edit out stuff he's like that's not exactly what I meant but when he was in radio that went out over the air and like you were stuck owning that forever, you know. Yep. 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 Okay. And yep. We we have killed I way to too much radio. <laughs> we have killed way too much time talking about this. So let's get into the production notes. Johanna?
0: All right. So, we've been talking a lot about Dune over the last several episodes. So, I wanted to focus on what Villeneuve was bringing to this particular version and what he was choosing to foreground. Villeneuve was a huge fan of Dune when he was a kid. And in his comments, spends a lot of time talking about what his teenage self would have thought of the version of Dune he put together, how faithful it was, whether he'd pulled it off, this impossible to film film. Villeneuve very quickly decided that it needed to be a two-part film in order to get the full story across. He even referenced uh, how Stephen King's It was split into two films in 2017 and 2019 as sort of a framework of this could work. And in part 1 he chooses to focus on Paul's awakening and realization that the world is complicated is full of war and that he's able to transition. So that was sort of sort of the focus of this first part and the second part we will see him coming to his own. Some of the really interesting decisions that he made early on was also to try to balance the gender voices in the film more. For instance, the character who is a Fremen guide on the planet was originally a male character and was recast as a Black woman in this film to give greater diversity and a little bit more equal weight in terms of the gender representation of the main characters. But also in this version of the film, Villeneuve really sees... The mother character as being almost an equal to Paul. So those few initial decisions really went into shaping the casting, the writing of this part of the film, and the general structure. We'll get into whether he pulled it off later in our comments. What I wanted to also focus on though is the production design. At the Oscars this year, Dune basically swept all of the technical categories. It won best sound, best film editing, best cinematography, best production design, best visual effects. And it was also nominated for best cinematography, costume design, also nominated for best picture, did not walk away with it. It really, really wowed in terms of of the technical side. One of the cool things that was new to this version of Dune is instead of using a green screen or a blue screen, to film the special effects. They used a brown screen, sand screen, whatever whatever color you want to call it. But for a lot of the shots filmed in the ornithopters, they would put that vehicle at the top of a mountain somewhere in the Middle East, and then you would have real sky and then this sand screen below so that the lighting really felt like you were there. Throughout the special effects process they tried as much as possible to have real objects to reference there there is of course a lot of cgi in the film but there's not a lot of cgi that isn't supported by some real thing so that's why the film has this photorealistic immersive feel i also of course need to talk about the sandworms and the concept behind them because that's that's what we're here for They had originally consulted biologists and scientists about how do snakes and worms move but they realized that that's actually not very cinematic so so they decided not to model the sandworms movement and behavior after real worms and snakes but instead after whales so the sandworm cuts through the dunes the way a whale cuts through the ocean and the concept of this sandworm having almost baleen to to help sift through the sands is also inspired by whales, which I thought was pretty cool. One of the things that they wanted to capture in the sound design for the sandworm is not a Godzilla kind of sound, but a God sound. So, So you'll hear this real bass tone Hans Zimmer, of course, you know, won best original score for this film. When Villeneuve approached him and said, oh, it's been a childhood dream of mine to direct this film. It's why I got into directing. Hans Zimmer said, careful, you don't fly too close to the sun. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So... I'm going to share my family recipe for savories, aka Chex Mix.
1: Oh.
0: I like my Chex Mix very, very spicy. And it's kind of the perfect, like, you know, salty, dry, deserty kind of food. Like, it tastes like what I imagine the Sands of Arrakis tastes like. Yum. And it's... (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's very, very spicy, not in like a hot way in like a spice way, but you, you take the recipe that's on the box for Chex Mix. You can sub out pretzels. I don't, I don't like pretzels. So I put in goldfish instead. You can, you know, look, look at the mixed nuts and decide, oh, I don't like peanuts and just only do cashews. So so the substances can change. I really highly recommend bagel chips. Bagel chips should be a prominent feature of your checks mix. And you should also consult your family about whether they like wheat checks or not. I like them, but the wheat checks burn more easily in the oven. So if you don't have people who love them, can simplify your recipe. But the key thing is the recipe calls for something like two tablespoons of Worcestershire. I recommend a quarter cup quarter cup of Wisheshir.
2: I endorse this recipe.
0: Yes. So a quarter cup of Wisheshear and instead of you know a couple tablespoons of chili powder, just like just keep pouring. Just like, just keep keep going and going. Probably also like at least a quarter cup of chili powder. And I also add a one sauce. You can you can add, you know, like a good slurp of of A1, a little bit of Frank's red hot, uh, paprika. Um, If you have smoked paprika, even better. But the consistency of your Chex Mix should be wet. It should be like goopy wet, like cereal that has been sitting in, in milk for a few minutes, goopy wet. And then you spread it out on the pan and you bake it at 250 degrees Fahrenheit for about 30 minutes. And then you, you know, mix it up, make sure that the wet parts are going to get dried out and you just kind of keep checking on it and keep sifting until until it's dry it can burn so so do do be careful of that but yeah the key is more wish and more chili powder
1: i won't say this is my favorite version of dune because i'm a diehard david lynch fan and everything he does i just love so i always have a special place in my heart for the original i always will always have whatever you know i mean carl mclaughlin okay um (laughs) however i do like this version of dune because it explains the story in a way that anybody can understand and not in a simplified way but in a way where it just, it makes more sense the way they introduced the different planets, the way they introduced the different characters. I really liked how it was easy to piece together and, and easy to understand what the story was about. The sound quality was so great watching this at home. I have a ceramic thing that I made with the lid on it sitting on one of my speakers. And this was the first time I had watched a film where when a big deep sound, like the worms happened, it was like, shh, shh, shh. it was like mm, <laughs> care of the lid, like clinging on it. And I, I almost had to take it off and I was like, no, I'm leaving it on. This is going to just keep reminding me how awesome the sound quality of this film is. So yeah.
0: I saw it I just, in IMAX for the same reason. Oh, yeah. I'm just- so
1: jealous. I really wish I would have done that. I really wish I would have done that. And if it comes back to IMAX around here, I'm doing it. I'm lucky enough to be one of those people that has surround sound in my living room when I watch it and it really did just I mean some of the sound like shook the freaking house. It was amazing. <laughs> and then the actors that they picked. I just was really impressed
2: with with their performance. I was happy they took my idea of casting Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. Yes, which <laughs> it's a good thing he they
0: was, called you about that, Eric. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, he was perfect for that.
2: My casting instincts were right. It is not a big role, but he kind of stole the show whenever he was there. Mm -hmm.
1: And I like the fact that they didn't have him have the same facial hair as he has in all the other movies. They actually changed it up a little bit so we could see more of his face and he actually looked like a different character than the rest of the characters that he typically plays.
0: Yeah, it wasn't Khal Drogo on Arrakis. Yeah,
1: or Aquaman on Arrakis. (laughs) Jason Momoa really showed a a great side of his acting, but he was still his surly self. This was a great character choice for him. Good job on that, Eric.
2: Thank you.
1: (laughs) Because we all know it was really you, you know.
2: Thank you. Casting Um, director owes me a check on that one. That's right. (laughs) Send him a check. The other thing that I liked that was kind of the way I had always been envisioning it or closer to what i had always envisioned was the ornithopters because none of the previous versions we've seen of this had them actually flapping, which is implied by the, the name, you know, so something that is bird-like and helicopter-like in one place, I don't remember where it was, if this was in someone's notes or if this was actually in the book dragonflies is another description of them and it kind of had all of that going into it it did have that kind of look to it so i was really happy with that i thought that was closer to what i had wanted but my other big nitpick that i have been talking about through every iteration of dune here is the eyes after two movies of complaining about the eyes being too bright blue This one was too subtle. I thought this one was too, the blue eyes was too subtle because the book does make mention that every time a Fremen shows up, you notice that they have blue eyes. And there were many times where I didn't really notice. I was like looking carefully to try to determine is this person a Spice user or not?
0: I didn't think it was too subtle. I think some of it is that the color palette for everything that happens on Arrakis is so beige that yeah. the the blue really stood out to me. Still, I mean, I agree with you that it was subtle in the sense that, like, it wasn't glow in the dark, though it wasn't the David Lynch film, so you know, it, it didn't it didn't quite stand out. But I I thought it looked like there's still eyes at least that at least they still look like eyes.
2: I forget who the narrator was in. Lynch is doing it was kind of like everybody at one point in time or another and then in the miniseries we had a vastly expanded princess Iralon narrating and this one i think opens with chani narrating yeah and so i'm like okay considering she isn't even mentioned or we know nothing about her until like halfway through the novel i thought okay this is interesting there are a lot of choices here that i found interesting and i'm not saying that's good or bad but um The costumes were all very believable. Beam weapons was something that I hadn't seen in, you know, I didn't really picture that much in in Doom. But then explosives as well were being used from the very beginning battle scenes. And explosives are very problematic on Arrakis, considering Mm. even shields supposedly will draw sandworms to you. There are some things that this film changes from the book that I think are okay or even pretty good. For example, I'm normally not a fan of race and gender swapping characters for no good reason or just to be inclusive, but they did it with Dr. Liet Kynes in this. yeah, And that's the perfect character to do it with because there is no reason why that character needs to be of a certain... Um, race or gender. Kynes is kind of the voice of Herbert in the novel. And his death scene is just this very long thought monologue. It's kind of the voice of the author telling you all this stuff. I think Kynes' death in this film was much more well done, especially for Mm. a movie. But there's a lot of stuff that I guess the writers and directors are left to fill in because herbert just didn't address it like what i really want to know and i'm sure they explain this in some later offshoot or they will explain it sooner or later like okay arrakis is in its own star system none of the other planets are in the star system right and spice is only found on arrakis and spice is necessary for interstellar travel how the hell did they get to Arrakis to begin with? <laughs> very, very slowly, <laughs> I guess. Like, if you don't have faster than light travel and you're going interstellar distances, you're talking, unless you do some sort of colony ship through multi-generations, it, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, Well, <laughs>
0: hang on. I mean, they keep reiterating that it's what makes interstellar space travel possible. But, you know, possible... <clears throat> I think has kind of a broad. Yeah. I mean, like we would say that it's not possible to get from New Hampshire to Boston without a car. Like you can't, like you can't walk there. Like we would say having a car makes it possible to travel between cities. That's not true. Like we had carriages, like we could walk, we have bicycles, like there are other options, but realistically it's possible because we have a car. So I, I don't, I don't see the, the problem
2: interstellar distances if you can't go the speed of light like trek solves this by warping you know you can warp space that's kind of what they imply in some of the other dune adaptations here is that that's what the spacing guild uses the spice to do right to warp space and time i have a Uh,
1: weird theory about that that probably doesn't make sense in the dune universe but i'm going to throw it out there anyway go for Hmm. it what if they discovered somebody somewhere along the line discovered that they could use the spice for space travel and they're like okay i'm gonna try it they use it for space travel they bring extra spice with them and they give it to people they meet along the way and teach them how to do it and it's just hasn't been talked about yet
2: yeah but humans are not native to arrakis right so we know that what if so- it was a fremen yeah what if it was the fremen, fremen are not native to arrakis they mm. are they are descendants of the first humans that came to arrakis ah,
1: well then how'd the fremen mm. get there
2: <laughs> that's the question right <laughs> that that's what the great thing about the the fremen is they're they're so adapted they're like humans that adapted to the surroundings which is what makes them such incredible desert fighters
1: One thing I really thought was cool was that they took the tooth from the sandworm and turned it into a weapon. And it was like, it was a sacred weapon. I also liked the approach in the film where it was one of those things where Lita was like, no, we're going to make friends with these people and let them know we're cool. And we're looking out for them. We're not here to, you know, pillage their planet. Like, you know, we want to have a truce with them. We want to have a relationship with them, which later benefited his family. Watch the movie. I I can't even begin to tell you enough. And if you have kids, it's not so gruesome that you can't watch it. So that's all I'm going to say on that. And I'll let you guys discuss.
2: (laughs) You said it's good for kids. So I want to hear what a 12 year old boy's opinion of this film was.
0: So I've got bad news. (laughs) My 12 year old boy and I have tried watching this film together three times I took him with me to the IMAX and he was so unbelievably excited he got so excited that he passed out
1: (laughs) just like (laughs) he fell
0: asleep I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he made it like 40 minutes into the film and then was out cold and unwakeable the most recent time we tried to watch it he got through the first two hours so he got he got a little further but then still just like out cold and this is sort of connected to my feeling about dune also in many ways it feels to me like a lesser star wars the bene gesserit are just a little less emotionally developed than the jedi like the powers are just as cool not arguing about the powers And I love that it's like a women-led cult instead of the Jedi, like traditionally, you know, mostly men. I like it as a concept, but I don't feel any kind of emotional anything when the Bene are around. And with the Jedi, I feel connected to the whole universe feeling. Like you feel that call to adventure. The Jedi is is sort of an inclusive thing of like they they want to bring people into an appreciation of the force. Whereas the Benedict it's like, no, you're not good enough and you don't belong. To me, that just, it makes it a little less accessible and a a little less compelling as a viewer to feel like I'm emotionally participating in their story, in their goals. So I think that's why my son fell asleep. I don't think it's because the sandworms weren't cool enough. I don't think it's because the acting wasn't good. It's a fantastic production, but I think fundamentally Dune itself is just not as good as Star Wars, and he didn't see a reason to hang it. All right, Eric, you have thoughts. Okay. So actually, this
2: <laughs> the, I agree. This sort of fall, falls into where I was going to go with this. Of the three Dunes we've watched, this is the best, I think. Yes. It is the best movie. It is the best adaptation. That said, even the best adaptation of Dune is a little soulless. I think all the best space operas have a little whimsy to them. Star Wars has it, highly rewatchable. Guardians of the Galaxy, highly rewatchable. This is uber serious. Now the source material is very serious, but even the source material has a little bit in it. And this film chose not to use that. For example, someone asked me if I would choose Josh Brolin not knowing at the time that Josh Brolin was going to be in this. One of you guys asked me, how about Josh Brolin when I was talking about Gurney Halleck? And it wasn't um, me. (laughs) It must have been Johanna. Yeah. Um, And I said I had actually considered Josh Brolin, but I went with Liam Neeson instead because I wanted someone who could be the musician and not just the warrior. And Mm -hmm. this did not show the musician Gurney Halleck at all. I mean, I'm glad that bagpipes still exist in the 10,000 AD like we got to see some, <laughs> some bagpipe players, but, but I really wanted to see. They're never going away. I really a wanted loot. to see him. Where is our loot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to see him play the ballastet. I wanted that for this. I wanted some moments of fun in this and I didn't feel I got it. I can kind of see where Finn is coming from on this and I can kind of see where you're coming from. This is a good movie is good science fiction movie is a good adaptation of dune a pretty good adaptation of dune the best adaptation we have so far but it's just not all that fun to watch that's kind of where i'm at on on this
0: yeah i like being in the world they created and when i saw it in imax i sort of walked away feeling like That's right. I don't care about this story (laughs) because I read it. I read the book when I was a teenager because at the time it was like more sci-fi is always good. But I didn't connect with the book and I still haven't found a way to connect to the movie. This has gotten the closest because one of the things that Villeneuve did try to do in addition to trying to bring more women's voices into the story and have more balance there, which I found very helpful in terms of getting some access into the emotional world of the story, but also he was very committed to the ecology of this, trying to create a feeling of the planet. And I felt the emotional pull of the desert. The nature had this sense of trying to find life in a barren world. And that that had emotional pull for me, even though the rest of the story just couldn't get in. One of the things that I find very weird about Dune and all of the adaptations we've seen is the treatment of the father's death in the story always feels very weirdly like an afterthought. (laughs) You know, I just, it's hard to explain, but, you know, even though there's a lot of buildup, because of where it happens in the story, it happens neither right at the beginning nor at the end, really. It just kind of happens in the middle mm-hmm. and and while Paul isn't there. And so no one witnesses this character's death and the character's death is not treated as if it's meant to be a great loss for the audience. It's not portrayed as if we are meant to be sad. And it's not even portrayed as a, an interesting chess move a la... Game of Thrones deaths, which happen, you know, often without a ton of emotion either, but at least it's like a, oh, I can't believe they did that. This is sort of a, they go there, you know, from the beginning that it's going to go badly. It does go badly. You know, guy gets killed and Paul doesn't seem to really feel anything about it. So we as the audience aren't sure how to feel. So that's always been weird to me. The thing that I really liked about this version, though, I loved Stellan Skarsgård as Harkonnen. And this was an area where Villeneuve recognized that this character was like a mustache twirling cartoon villain in the book. And that because it was a weak character in the book, he didn't feel bound to adapt this character faithfully. So he decided to lean more into this idea of Baron Harkonnen as a really fiercely intelligent brutal leader who had much more sense of control than we saw in, for instance, the David Lynch version.
2: (laughs) It was Brando's Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. That's what he was channeling to me, you know? Yeah. I prefer the David Lynch one on this because again- Oh, really? It's just so weird and like, it's there's a little more to grab onto. It's a little more fun. And I feel the same way about Paul. I think that if they're going to go with an adult, I want someone who's going to make an impression on me like Kyle MacLachlan did. And this kid, I don't even know who the actor is. Timothy
0: Chalamet.
2: Yeah, Timothy Chalamet. You, what rock not, have
0: you been living under? You don't you, like. You haven't been following the worldwide obsession with Timothy Chalamet.
2: I live under a rock.
0: Or you're you don't know enough teenage girls. But um, no, he's been in some incredible. Uh, so most recently in Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, he has a he has which a which I did not see. Fun character in that one. He is the romantic interest in Little Women, another oh, fantastic yeah. adaptation. Okay. And I he was in Call Me By Your Name, which is okay. another just like beautifully fantastic film. Anyway, Timothy Chalamet, he's, he's been doing his work. <laughs> I saw
2: both of those, but you know how I'm with names. I can never remember a name from time to time. Anyway, Timothy Chalamet did not make an impression on me like Kyle McLaughlin did. There is something about Kyle McLaughlin where you know... He's got that quality that he's going to be this great leader. And I don't get that from Timothy Shelley.
0: Okay. So I think that is a reflection of the fact that this version has been split into two parts and that this first part is definitely meant to be Paul, the boy, Paul, the pampered prince, who's curious about other cultures, has some soul and thoughtfulness, but is like not ready for any of this that's coming. And then I don't think we're going to see that. Version of Paul until part two, whereas in the Kyle McLaughlin version, we get to see that whole arc in one feature film.
2: Right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'll have to give him a shot in the second half and see if I buy him as this great, you know, Lawrence of Arabia in space. But one actor who I do remember is De Batista, who played the Bistro Bond in this. Now, Batista. He's been in three sort of space opera, sci-fi things at this point. And I think his characters encompass my feelings about them. So he was in Riddick, he was in this, and those aren't as memorable as him in Guardians of the Galaxy. Even though he plays the same dude in all three of them. (laughs) Like, Like the one you remember is Drax the Destroyer. They're all pretty much the same guy maybe he's a little bit more emotionless in Dune, you know, and doesn't have this revenge plot that he does. But in all of them, he's just basically a heavy. That's what he's there to be. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: uh, those other two films, nobody's going to remember that he was in them years from now. Like, oh yeah, that guy was in Dune. Oh, you know, but you're not going to forget that he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think that's because the film itself there's some emotional core to it that I'm just not getting out of Dune.
0: Yep. By the way, they did green light part two. When they filmed part one, there was an initial like, if it goes well, there will be a part two kind of moment. But shortly after it premiered in October of 21, they greenlit part two. And there's also going to be a spin-off TV series called The Sisterhood, which is about the Bene Gesserit. It's a prequel to Dune which is very exciting also.
1: This show has made me a Dune fan. (laughs) Seriously, I liked Dune before, but
2: I love it now. We've beaten around the bush long enough. It is time to do our Sandworm Survivors Tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Because there were not enough sandworms and what we've watched I had to add two wild cards to our tournament of sandworms so there are two movies in here that you guys are familiar with okay that have slightly sandy slightly wormy things in them <laughs> that are going to join us as wild card teams along with what we've already seen okay. but because who gets matched up with who and who gets put out early matters we need to do this randomly we have four matchups eight different sandworms.
0: Eric, you do realize you are now creating eight different timelines.
2: (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Okay, ready? Yes, go ahead and roll a D8 for me. I got five. Okay, that would be graboids from Tremors. Mm. Johanna, if you could roll a D8.
1: Yep. Wow. I should have had a D8. (laughs)
2: And a one. That would be the Starship Troopers, Clendathu Sandworm, AKA the Brain Bug. So we have Graboids versus Brain Bug. Which do you think comes out on top? So I want you to take into account the effects, what they had to work with, when it was made, how scary it is, how sandy and wormy it is, you know, as we said before. Johanna, who wins Graboid versus Brain Bug? I have
0: to
1: say Graboids. Graboids are, are the fiercer foe. Rosie? I'm going to go with Johanna on that one.
2: I also agree. So we knock the Brain Bug out early, and Graboids will go on to round two. Johanna, if you could roll a D6. It's a six okay this is one of our wild card teams the sarlacc of tatooine from return ah, of the jedi yes <laughs> okay and then rosie if you could roll a d6 i got a one that would be the iraqian sandworms of david lynch's dune
1: 1984
2: Ooh. so you start us off this time, Rosie. Sarlacc versus Lynch's sandworm. Which one comes out on top?
1: The sarlacc, because I don't think you could ride a sarlacc. <laughs> well, see, that's why I'm going to pick the,
0: the Iraqian worms, is that they're mobile. The sarlacc moves very slowly. It's a sit-and-wait sandworm. That,
2: oh. <laughs> that That means it's up to me to decide. And because of the wall of sandworm that you pointed out when we were talking about Dune 84, I'm <laughs> going to go with the sandworm from Lynch's Dune 84, which by the way, I learned that they had to do practically and because they did it with miniatures, the sand had to be miniature. And so <laughs> it had to be done with, with this super fine sand that they had to wear masks and goggles and stuff because it gets in your lungs, it would tear it up. It's,
0: that's hilarious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lynchian Sandworms advance to the next round. All right. Rosie, could you roll a D4? D4. Okay. I got a four. That would be another one of our wildcard teams. Sio, the Exogorth space slug from the Empire Strikes Back the yes! asteroid worm <laughs> all right johanna can you roll a d4 yes a four you need to re-roll
0: oh that's right um no three
2: <laughs> okay that would be the 2021 iraqian sandworm from this dune mm. so dune 2021 sandworms versus Sayo the Exogorth Space Slug from the Empire Strikes Back.
0: That's an interesting <laughs> one because they are both huge and on barren barren planets. Ah. Uh, um I think I'm going to have to go with uh sayo from from empire strikes back just by virtue of sheer size and presence of minox.
2: <laughs> okay i am going against it for that very reason because mm. it's so big that if it can swallow the whole millennium falcon and you're inside and you don't even know you're inside of it and you could just like find your way back out that's not as scary to me as the uh, dune worms that it's- have all giant, teeth. <laughs> giant teeth which by the way i think they overdid it on the teeth in this if one of those is supposed to be a chris knife the chris knife would be bigger than a sword but anyway i still say the winner here is the sandworms from dune 2021 rosie yep. or the tiebreaker
1: yeah i'm gonna have to go with the 2021 dune dune worm yep that okay one. yeah the, all the teeth
2: i love it <laughs> that means our final matchup is the dune 2000 iraqian sandworms versus the beetlejuice saturnian sandworms so rosie why don't you start us off between beetlejuice and dune 2000 sandworms i'm gonna go with beetlejuice
1: yeah me too (laughs) because um well i just think that the uh I think that the the Beetlejuice sandworms would be more vicious.
0: Beetlejuice they, sandworms gave me nightmares, like legit nightmares as a child. And that
1: counts for a lot. Yeah. And they're cooler
2: looking. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say for the exact same reason Johanna said that the Beetlejuice sandworms are far more nightmare inducing. So <laughs> I'm going with that. That means they advanced to round two. Round two: Graboids versus Lynchian sandworms.
1: Rosie, Lynchian sandworms. I yeah, think, I
0: think so. I think yeah. we know yeah. why.
2: So I am going to be the voice of dissent here. I'm going to go with graboids. I think that the graboids just look cooler, uh, especially when you know they came out and you could see them. Lynchian sandworms are just kind of. Well, worms with teeth, which is scary, but the graboids truly looked alien and unusual. But I am overruled, so the winner of round two in this category is the Lynchian sandworms. Lynch wins again. Dune 2021 sandworms versus Beetlejuice sandworms johanna
0: it's still still beetlejuice the the baleen in in the 2021 worms i find you know awe-inspiring but not terrifying the the mouth inside the mouth thing still is yeah
2: is all right so it doesn't matter what i say but i would go with beetlejuice also so i'm going Be- with beetlejuice. <laughs> beetlejuice, beetlejuice beetlejuice beetlejuice
1: beetlejuice beetlejuice Beetlejuice.
0: yes
2: all right. So for the final showdown, Johanna, David Lynch sandworms versus Beetlejuice sandworms.
0: I think I think Beetlejuice. I think I think those are our sandworms. They, they yeah. are the er sandworm.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Beetlejuice sandworms, definitely.
2: There we have it. The winner of our Sandworm Survivors Tournament. The Saturnian Sandworms of Beetlejuice.
1: I'm just really glad that we approached this series. It was a lot of fun. You know, you don't realize how much of a recurring theme shows up in different movies until you really take a hard look at it. And this was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for doing this.
0: I was also happy to revisit Dune because I, even though ultimately came down on the side of not as good as Star Wars, it did grow on me after watching several adaptations and I now feel like I appreciate the 2021 version more than, than I did when I first saw it and I'm excited for part two.
2: We would love to hear from you. You can email us at gc8podcast, that's letter G, letter C, number eight, podcast at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, give us a good review wherever you can. We're really looking to get our message out there. We will see you soon with another series, probably not based around anything like a sandworm. (laughs) so wait and see (laughs) until next time this is eric this is rosie this is johanna signing off
1: i'm in my 40s i'm a mom and when it hits a certain hour i'm freaking tired so